Anchored in Reaching is for curious people who want to explore the story that God is writing in history and who are looking for their own place in that story to find meaning and vibrancy in their life and vocation. I'm Kevin Manoya. Join me each week as we probe the edges of faith and living, always in relation to God who knows you best. For some, it'll be an opportunity to anchor yourself more securely in your faith. For others, it'll be motivation to reach out to engage more broadly. In either case, these conversations should encourage, enlighten, and challenge you. Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad that you've joined us again on Anchored in Reaching. And in this episode, we're going to start a brand new series that we're calling Masterful Living. And I'm hoping that that very title will elicit in you some questions about what does masterful mean and what is living? Well, I think we all know what living means, but uh, what does this title really mean? So we're going to launch this new series. We're going to take about six, maybe seven, we'll see how it goes, but six or seven episodes uh, in this series And it really does focus in on living the holy life. What does that really mean? What does holiness mean? It's sort of an enigmatic word that has come to mean a lot of different things, and a lot of people have gotten confused about it. But I'm hopeful that we can uh, spend some time together on this series called Masterful Living. And in this particular episode, this is the first episode, kind of an introduction, uh, laying the groundwork, the framework. I'm going to be flying solo on this. And then for the next five or six episodes, Susanna will be back with me and we'll be talking together about the various descriptors, and that's an important word, the various descriptors of what it means to walk in a, in a commitment to masterful living. I would say right at the outset that I want to point you to a couple of resources that if, as we get to talking about this, you have some curiosity and you want to go a little bit deeper, well, there's a book out by that very title, Masterful Living, and it'll be in the show notes. You can go there to find it. You can go to Amazon to find it. You can go to my website, just kevinmanoia.com if you want to. Uh, There's a video series out by this title as well if you want to uh, dig deeper or dive deeper into this. Uh, We're going to kind of hit it uh, a little bit on the higher level, both in this introduction as well as in each of the episodes that follow where Susanna and I have a conversation. So if you want to drill down a little bit more, uh, go to the book, Masterful Living. And by the way, uh, that book is available in English, in Spanish, and in Portuguese. So feel free to take advantage of that. The uh, video series is only in English, but I'm hopeful that those resources can be helpful to you. And there in the show notes, you can check them out. So let's dive in to masterful living. What in the world is that? And as I said before, this really deals mostly with the idea of holiness or living the holy life, which has been bogged down by tons and tons of baggage over the last 120 years, especially in the last 75 years during the middle part of the 20th century toward the latter part of the 20th century, Holiness, or living uh, a holy life, came to mean a kind of life that was almost enslaved to rules and regulations, and it, it became the source of a lot of difficulty within the church, and frankly, a lot of people who attempted to commit themselves to holiness found themselves in some, in some pretty deep trials and some pretty deep difficulties uh, that felt almost like they were being bound up in a heavy, heavy yoke of a, a heavy burden, almost a, a weight of legalism. 
Well, uh, in the last 15 to 20 years, we've tried to discover a little bit more about what this idea of living the holy life really is all about. And what I'd like to do is kind of lay the framework here a little bit about what holiness really is, and then uh, describe some, some patterns that may begin to emerge in your life as you commit to this idea of holiness. But uh, hopefully, some of you who are listening will experience a little bit of freedom, or maybe big freedom, and emancipation from some expectations that have been put on you externally, or even some internal expectations that you've had of yourself, in an attempt to try harder and work more at living a holy life. So, let's dive in. And let me just start by describing a little bit about what holiness is not. Um, and, and I realize I might step on a few toes of things that maybe you've learned over, over the years, but forgive me, and if you want to, drop me a note, and I'll do my best to try and uh, expand a little bit more if I can help you, or the book may, or the video series. Holiness is not a doctrine. Now, you may hear pastors and teachers talking about the doctrine of holiness. Um, holiness is not a doctrine. Holiness is not a lifestyle. Uh, you may have heard people say you got to live a life of holiness. And furthermore, holiness is not rules. And maybe it's never been said, but you've observed that anytime somebody talks about holiness, there's always associated with it all the thou shalt nots. You know, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't chew, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't wear, you can't wear short sleeve or, or, or sleeveless uh, shirts or short pants and all the rules and regulations that go along with this whole idea of holiness, and it just kind of creates this, this sectarianism of people who are trying to do stuff that look holy. Well, holiness is not a doctrine, it's not a lifestyle, and it's not a bunch of rules. Now, let me, let me be clear that I'm not saying that doctrine is bad. Doctrine is a human construct that we put into place to attempt to understand insights and truths about God and God's work with us. But that's all they are. Doctrines are simply our effort to try to understand who God is and how God deals with us. So, so doctrine in and of itself is not bad unless it becomes the focal point of what you're trying to live up to in your life. Holiness is described, we try to use doctrine to describe it, but holiness inherently is not a doctrine. Furthermore, it's not a lifestyle. Now, lifestyle may change as you embrace the idea of holiness, and you'll see why as we get into it, and it's not a set of rules. But again, your life may change and you may do things differently as you embrace holiness. So let's not get the cart before the horse. Let's not start focusing on the doctrine, the lifestyles, and the rules in order to become holy. Let's focus on holiness and embracing holiness. And then you'll discover through doctrine through that, 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 that lifestyle changes and some of the patterns of your life will begin to be altered. So let's make sure that we're focusing on what holiness really is. If it's not doctrine, and it's not lifestyle, and it's not rules, then what is it? Well, the short answer to that is holiness is a condition of life that reflects God, who is holy. See, the chief characteristic of God is that God is holy. So if we get this in the right order, 
Now then, we say that a condition or the life that reflects God is a life that will be holy as God is holy. It's almost like a description of what's automatically going to happen when, when you are reflecting God. Anything else, anything short of simply positioning ourselves as a mirror reflection of God who is holy, anything else makes us the agent of our own holiness. See, if we say... Uh, holiness is a lifestyle, and we strive to live that lifestyle. If we happen to succeed, then voila, we are the agent of our own holiness. If we fail, then we feel miserable that we have failed God and we're, we're useless to God. And if we don't live up to the rules that we think we're supposed to live up to, then somehow we feel that we're less than best and God is just going to discard us on the, on the heap of irrelevancy and going to overlook us all, all day long. And that creates this severe sense of burden and guilt and, and overwhelming uselessness. Well, that's not holiness. Holiness is a life that reflects God. And God happens to be holy. You know, we tend to reflect God, or we tend to, let me use this analogy, we tend to smell like what we eat, right? Um, What we put into us is usually something that comes out of us when we work. So like if you know, I like garlic and I, you know, my Italian background uh, means that I like garlic a lot. So when I eat garlic, it's not just a clove of garlic. I want to eat the whole thing, right? And even, you know, when you put a whole garlic in the roaster and you put butter on it and, and it's, and it's roasted and you, man, there's nothing better than that. You scoop it out and, oh, wow, that's phenomenal, right? Well, you eat enough of that kind of garlic and then you start working a little bit. You find that you sweat when you work, well, when you sweat, you know, that's, that sweat that comes out of the pores in my skin is going to smell like garlic. Why? Because we tend to smell like what we put in ourselves. We smell like what we eat. You know, I remember one time driving to a church where I was going to speak and, and my family was with me and, and Kathy and I decided to stop and have dinner before we got to the city where we were going to stay in a hotel. And I asked the chef, hey, uh, can you, or I asked the waiter, can you have the chef cook me just a, uh, um, a plate of pasta with olive oil and a lot of garlic on it? Well, that was kind of an unusual order. It was an Italian restaurant. And the chef came out and he said, are you the guy who ordered that? And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, well, will you really eat this if I cook this? I'm going, what a strange request. Yeah, of course I will. I asked for it. And he said, well, okay, if you'll eat it, then I'll make it. And out comes this big bowl of beautiful pasta with olive oil and tons of garlic mixed in all over it. I ate the whole thing and man, was it good. Later on, we stop at the hotel, we put the kids down and I go to give my wife a hug and she pushes me away and she goes, you stink. You know, because by then... This garlic had found its way into my skin and out of the pores of my skin. And, you know, I hadn't even been working all that hard. I hadn't been sweating that much. But it was still smelling through my skin because we smell like what we eat. Well, think about it. Every time you go to church and take communion, you take the elements for the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, or Holy Communion, whatever you call it in your church tradition— You are taking the body of Christ into you. This is the body of Christ which was broken for you. And afterwards, you drink the cup. And you drink that cup. This represents the blood of the new covenant. 
and you take that in, you are internalizing Jesus Christ in that act. When you take Christ into you, you are inviting the holy of holies into your life. When you eat God who is holy, then when you work, you're going to sweat the aroma of Christ. Paul calls it the fragrance of Christ. The aroma of God through Christ is the way he phrases it in his letter to the, to the Corinthians. We become the aroma. Why? Because we have internalized God, and we smell like what we eat. And since God is in us, when we work and when we act and when we speak and when we do, we are the smell of God, whose chief characteristic is he is holy. So we now become holy as he is holy. See, holiness is more um, present in Scripture than any other theological theme. And if it's important to, if it's that important to God to include it in Scripture that often, then it ought to be important to us. We can't discard it. We can't move around it. We can't say, ah, holiness, that's legalism, and we're not going to mess with that. No, holiness is a, is a serious theme in the economy of God, but it's different than many of the other theological themes of Scripture. When you read through the Bible, when you read through Scripture, and you study and you, dis, you, you follow in your discipleship with Christ, you find that most of the other themes that we read about in Scripture are, are things that God does to us or God does for us. For example, he saves us, right? That's what salvation is. We talk about salvation. He saves us. Uh, He gives us grace that is sufficient for all of our needs. He gives us mercy for our inadequacies. He gives us comfort for our trials and tribulations. He gives us God's own presence for when we sense this loneliness. God gives us things and does stuff to us and for us. But when it comes to holiness, that's not something that God does to us or for us. You see, holiness is in a completely different category because it's a descriptor of who God is. It is very endemic. It's part of the nature of God. God is holy. It's not something he does to us. It's not something he does for us. It is who God is. So that being the case, and recognizing that we tend to become, or we tend to smell like, or reflect what we internalize then, the journey of living the holy life of becoming holy as God is holy, which, by the way, you recognize as in Scripture, right? Uh, Be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. So the journey of becoming holy is not by working harder or doing more. It's not by adhering or, or complying with doctrine better or living up to the rules um, better. It's not living a better lifestyle by trying harder to avoid the things that are not holy things, the way we pursue the holy life is simply by by allowing God's nature to be reflected in us. You see, we become holy not through effort, but through surrender, complete and total surrender. Because when we try to live the holy life, 
by living up to lifestyle and rules, by complying with doctrine, then when those things begin to take place, the, the one who gets the credit is us. We become the agent of our own holiness. And that in and of itself is a misplaced understanding of what holiness is to begin with. The only way to pursue holiness and to reflect holiness is through a singular act of the will to surrender. Oh God, I open my life completely to you. May you be seen in me. May there be a greater measure of God's nature in me. Watchman Nee used that phrase, a greater measure of God in me. May more of your character and nature be seen in me, O God, through an act of open, submitted, complete surrender to the influence of God. And that doesn't just happen one time and then it's done. No, that is a an attitude, a disposition that we walk in a posture of humility and surrender so that the nature of God becomes more a part of us. And when God's nature is becoming more a part of us, the chief characteristic of God is holiness, and then we become holy as we reflect God's holy nature. See, it's not rocket science, folks. This is not something that that is a that requires a PhD in theology. It's not something that you've got to read all the theology books. It makes sense. When you internalize God to such a degree that greater measures of God are 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 growing in you, and then you go and you work and you act and you sweat that nature of the God who is in you will become more and more reflected in you. And that is the path to holiness. So what we're going to try to do in this series is to to, um, make holiness a much more accessible theme. That is, for so many years, many people have thought, oh my goodness, I'm not even going to give my mind to understanding holiness because it's so complicated and it requires so much action of the will, then it means I got to give up so much and and so forth and so on. Well, you know, I, I'd like to make holiness a whole lot more accessible for you. You know, it's kind of like, uh, it, it, you know, when my kids were small um, and they had bike bikes, um, whether they had training wheels or they were still riding on, they were riding on two wheelers, we would park the bikes behind the gate on the side of the house, right? And, and, and that way they were safe. But when the, when the boys particularly wanted to go out and ride their bikes on the street with their friends, um, the gate was probably a six foot gate and the latch was on the top. Well, they couldn't reach the latch. And so they always had to come and ask dad or mom, please, or big sister, uh, please, will you come and open the gate so I can get my bike out? right? It was too high to reach and they needed help. Well, suddenly one day the idea dawned on me. I don't know why it didn't dawn on me when I, when I put the bikes there and put the rack there, but the idea dawned on me, oh my goodness, it would make it very much easier if I just tie a string on that latch so that they can reach the string, pull the string and open the latch to open the door to all kinds of fun riding their bikes with their friends. So I tie a string and it hangs down low enough for them to reach it. I'd like for you to think of our time together as an attempt to 
put a string on an idea that too often has been perceived to be out of reach to everyone. And, and it's only within the purview of theologians or pastors to really understand what holiness is. No, this is something that God has made available to all of us. He's put a string on this so that all of us can reach it, and it will open a gate to understanding flourishing and life-giving wholeness and holiness of God. So, so I'd like for this series to provide that kind of accessibility for everyone, and I'm hopeful that that is going to change how you view holiness. Let's, we start by realizing holiness does not belong to us. It's not something that we control. It's not something that we achieve through compliance or intellectual assent to particular beliefs and doctrines. It is simply who God is. And when we embrace and surrender to the influence of God in us, we begin to reflect God who is holy. So, holiness hopefully, begins to take on a completely different meaning, and, a, and, a, and it begins to be framed completely different in our thinking. So you say, okay, but why is this series called Masterful, Masterful Living? Why is this, why is that even a part of this? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Um, when I use the word masterful, there's probably a lot of ideas that pop into your head, when, when you think of masterful, you might think of, uh, you might think of a carpenter who built the, the mantelpiece on your fireplace, or you think of a carpenter or a, a, a stonemason who made a statue or, uh, or built a, a beautiful uh, decoration in the wall, or you think, of a, you think of a sculptor, or you might think of a painter, you see, Masterful. We often use the word masterful when it comes to things that require high levels of competence. That person is a masterful communicator. That person is a masterful stonemason. That person is a, is a masterful teacher, you see. And we draw that conclusion when we look at what they are doing. We look at their performance, and they perform at a very high level. But let me suggest to you that masterful is not simply good technique. It's not enough to have good technique. You see, the, the, the painter, you might go into a museum somewhere and you might look at a, at a beautiful painting hanging on a museum wall and you'll see these benches in front of the painting that give people a chance to sit down and admire the work of the artist. They look, at the, they look at the stroke, they look at the color, they look at the hues, they look at the framing, they look at the perspective and the lighting and the shadows, the thickness of the paint, the color blend, the patterns that are used, and the stroke of the brush. And all of those things are being analyzed as the product or the technique in that painting. And often we attribute the word masterful to technique or to performance. Is the stroke proper? Is the color hue good? Is the, is the perspective, and uh, is it all in perspective? And we, and we admire artwork because of its technique, and often the word masterful comes to mind. But what I'd like to suggest to you is that masterful is a whole lot more than good technique. 
good performance is not enough. You see, when you sit in the, in the museum and when you observe that painting on the wall in front of you, you may begin to observe good technique and you may begin to appreciate it. You may analyze it. You may discuss it from an intellectual performance base outcomes. But it isn't until you start asking some deeper questions that you truly discover the nature of masterful. When you, when you start looking at that art and you look beyond the technique and you begin to ask the question, what kind of a person created that piece of art? What is the nature of the artist behind the art? And you begin to appreciate the fullness of the life out of which came the creativity of this beautiful piece of art. You see, when you look at the art and you see the artist, that's when you begin to understand the nature of being masterful or full of the master. You see, a, a piece of art is really, really good um, when you begin to appreciate and recognize the nature of the person who created that piece of art. The technique is great. The strokes are nice. The color hues are wonderful. But that's not enough. To be truly masterful, we begin to see the artist behind the art. Now, understanding that, consider the life of a person who is walking with God through Jesus Christ. We may admire their performance. They may read the Bible an hour a day. They may pray for 30 minutes a day. They may go to church whenever the church is open. They may never lie. They may, they may do things with all kinds of righteous behavior and, and attitudes, and they may perform at very high levels of technique in living a life that looks holy. But it isn't until you begin to look at the life and you begin to see the telltale signs of the nature of God in them that are finding expression in all of those behaviors, in all of those performance pieces, all of those tasks. See, that's when we get to the point where we really understand the nature of being full of the master. So full of the master that the behaviors begin to be altered. And the natural expression of being full of the master is that that person begins to reflect the master who is within them, who is God in Jesus Christ. And that life begins to be a reflection of that artist, that creator, that God who is holy, and the nature of that God who is holy begins to show itself in the day-to-day -day behaviors, the activities, the performance, all of the competence that are being externally manifested in observable ways. See, that is masterful living. Living in a way that is a good reflection of the master who is within us. We look at the art and we see the artist. Now, there's an awful lot that we're going to be talking about when it comes to this subject 
let me give you three characteristics, if I may, of this, and and uh, and then I'll look forward to seeing you in our future episodes. But but very quickly, generally, people who are on the way of holiness are are going to become described, or they're going to observe, they're going to experience some some adjustments in their life. And generally, again, this is a generality, but generally, people who are masterful or who are walking in the masterful life path of pursuing God's holiness in them through what we've just talked about will become more descriptive than prescriptive. They're going to describe the work of God in and through their life more than take some idea and try to impose it on their life as if it were a prescription to fix a problem. Generally, they're going to be more centered than bounded. And by that, I mean they are going to be committed to the nature of who God is, the person of Jesus Christ, and the work of God in them through an act of surrender, allowing that to manifest itself in many different ways through their personality and in their circumstance and environment, more that than defining their faith by doctrine and behavioral expectations and rules and regulations that form a circle that they have to stay inside of. They're going to be more centered than bounded. And generally, people on this path are going to be more relational than propositional. And by that, what I mean is their life is going to be characterized by the relational nature of walking with God, who is a person, and not living up to the rules of religion that are propositions. So generally, people on the way of holiness, generally people who are walking masterful living, are going to be more descriptive and more centered and more relational in their day-to-day living than they will be prescriptive or bounded or propositional. And of course, these are broad stroke statements, and I, and I know that if we had a lot of time, we could unpack those, and, and you can do that by going to the book or going to the video series and, and even dropping a note into the, sh- into the uh, dialogue if you want to. We'll respond to that. But I'm hopeful that this new series on masterful living will give you new insights and new freedom and new passion and new inspiration to lean into the holiness of God and surrender to God's influence such that it begins to show up in your life in the telltale signs of seeing the artist behind the art, which is your life. So what I'd love for you to do, even between now and the next episode, I'd, I'd love it if, if maybe as a, if you want to consider it homework or maybe something you could do with your small group or you could do with people at work or in the family, um, you know, uh, find, a, find a painting somewhere, find a piece of artwork somewhere and begin to observe the technique of that artwork and then go beyond that. Maybe you've got a painting, a picture in your home or in your office or a statue somewhere. Um, this is true of every different vocation, but it's, it's, it's easiest to illustrate with paintings or, or sculptures. Find a painting or a sculpture somewhere and look at the technique, the specific outcomes and the performance of the artist who created that. And then 
volitionally turn your mind to the deeper question and begin to think about what kind of person painted this painting? What kind of person sculpted this statue? Begin to think about the who behind the what. That is masterful living, and that's the path we want to walk. I'm really grateful you joined me, and I'm hopeful that you'll stay with us through this series on masterful living. Again, check out the show notes for links to further resources, and drop us a note if you want to weigh in, or you want to ask a question, or you want to make a comment. We're always welcome. We're always looking for those, and they're always welcome. So God be with you. I look forward to being with you in the next episode when Susanna will be back with me, and we're going to be talking about descriptors of this life, this masterful living, descriptors. And we'll explain that when we get to that point. But for now, God bless you richly. Let me encourage you to keep leaning into the wonderful adventure of becoming all that God has envisioned for you to be. Anchoring yourself in a secure identity, you reach with confidence to engage with people and daily life all around you. Allow your curiosity to explore and find God in the edges. Please take time to share this podcast with all your friends and invite them to join me in upcoming weeks as we explore together this exhilarating journey of being anchored and reaching.